0: Welcome uh, this morning to, uh, to a, a series that uh, you know, could go on every single day. We could talk about the trials and the pain that we're all going through. But today, um, I'm going to just kind of give you uh, one final thought as it pertains to uh, if I'm sitting with you and, and you're going through whatever pain or suffering that you're going through, I I wanna share with you the heart of of what I would try to communicate to you and how I would actually help you. And I wanna do that in this context because um, everyone hurts and everyone cries and everybody's hurting. And there's just suffering all around us. There's pain all of the time. Uh, It doesn't need to be um, magnified that much because it's so naturally magnified. Uh, Just uh, in terms of what comes across my world and in my world over the past two months, several funerals and uh, very difficult um, illnesses that I've had to sit with people during and major life changes for, for so many people. And you all are surrounded and connected to so much suffering. And so today, as we launch into uh, this thought and trials part two, uh, I want to stand up and we're going to read together um, through Romans chapter 8, 18 through 30. There's a lot of scripture that I'm going to read through today. So go ahead and stand up. And um, I just, again, want to just share my heart in that, that song that we sang, I'm going to see a victory, that, that truth of what the enemy meant for evil, um, God turns it for good, is so poignant and so important to understand in your relationship with God and how you kind of uh, fix these things in your mind and how you view your sufferings and your trials. but. In Romans chapter 8, um, Paul uh, launches into the perspective that I want to share with our church today. So we're going to read this. You can open up to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. If, 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 uh, if you don't have your Bibles or you can't see them, you, you please open up your phone. That's fine. We know it's too dark in here. And then also it's going to be on the screen. So uh, go ahead and you can follow along with me. Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they he ha- already has But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's Those he justified, he also glorified. Let's take a minute and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your all encompassing wisdom, your power, your your insight, your help to us as we peer through this foggy window pane to understand what's going on in the world. God, I pray today, as you've given us your spirit, that you would unpack the idea of suffering in this world and our perspective about it. I pray right now for those of us in in our midst who are feeling deep pain, who are suffering in any and every kind of way. I pray God that today as they're walking through whatever shadow they're in, God, that they would feel your warm glow, they would feel your light. God, that they would side with you on the side of suffering and pain and see it the way you see it. And help us all, God, to move from this place as your image bearers who are being transformed continually into the likeness of your son, Jesus. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Now, we know this phrase, God is love. And so many of us have heard this, and this is actually uh, an idea and a truth that the Bible talks about in, in every single way. It talks about it directly, it talks about it indirectly. It displays God's love. It articulates God's love. One of the disciples of Jesus says God is love, that he actually is love, and in him there is no darkness. The scriptures say that in God there is none. There's no darkness at all. And so a lot of people, whether they know what the scriptures have to say about God, or what the scriptures have to say about love, assume when they read this or they understand this that their perspective on pain should line up with their perspective on love. Ultimately, there's so many of us who believe, okay, God is love, or I hear that you say God is love, or the Bible, it teaches that God is love. If God is love, then my view of love should be played out in the world, and that's where it breaks down. We think that our view of love, we think that our perspective of what it means to be good, we think that our perspective of what it means to be light is the kind of perspective or the kind of way that God should handle love, light, and goodness. And ultimately, if we read the scriptures or we hear it in pop culture or we just hear it from a friend or we go to church a couple times a year and we hear that God is love, then all the warm feelings and all the ideas about that and that's where we stop, then we have a very, very small myopic view of who God is. Because God is not just love, he's so much more than love. And in order to understand pain and suffering, we have to understand the God that the Bible shows us and reveals to us. And so many of us take this idea of love and say, well, if God is love, and he actually loves, and he actually cares, and he actually loves people, and that, that, those words and that idea matters, then why this? If God loves us, or God is love, why isn't he stopping the pain? In other words, why does God allow bad things to happen? Most people graduate to the point pretty quickly that, you know, you can look at the scriptures and go, well, you know, God didn't necessarily cause all the bad things, but if, if, he, if he was good, why doesn't he put up a big wall? Why doesn't he stop it? Why doesn't he, he rip it all out right now? Why doesn't he do that? And ultimately, that question gets extremely magnified when the pain moves into your court, when suffering comes into your world. Because it's one thing to understand from an intellectual perspective that there's pain in the world and that sin and brokenness cause that pain. And you can say that to someone when they're suffering. But when you're suffering, those intellectual ideas don't satisfy the way that they, they do when you share them with other people because here's this pain. Here's this problem. It's them, but now it's me. And now that it's me, those ideas don't help. So God, what, what do I do? Like, like I, I'm now I'm questioning your goodness and your love altogether, because ultimately if you're a parent or you're a friend or whoever, you know, you're engaging, you look at the way you view the world and you think if I knew a train was coming to hit somebody, I'd pull them out of the way. If I knew that, that this was gonna happen and I could do something about it, that passive um, approach to not helping me, that's just as bad as, a, as an active one. Uh, however you wanna slice it, you had the power and you didn't pull me out of the way. Why? And when it hurts that bad, the human condition is very similar for most of us. And when we feel this type of pain and and, and the pain is so real and the trials are so strong and they're so vast, most of us go through the same process and this is the same process that's been happening from the beginning and it's this. We, We first figure out why we're angry. I'm angry, I'm very angry, this hurts. There's pain and ultimately as you study psychology you understand that anger is a secondary emotion that actually in order to understand what you're feeling, you have to get through the anger, but ultimately when you first start, you blast forth with anger, and the human condition is to be angry about your pain and to move through the beginnings of a grief process, and if you don't get help to finish it, you never will, but you'll start with this anger and this pain, and we've all been there. Why? And then ultimately, as soon as we feel that pain and as soon as we start to get that anger, you know you do this, right? You do this if you stub your toe on on the... counter. Why am I angry? And then right away what you do is you figure out who to blame it on. I'm angry because it hurts, so I'm angry. I just stubbed my toe. Actually, that's painful and sad and you want to cry, but I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to protect that with anger and I'm going to be angry and then I'm going to blame it on somebody. And if, I don't know if you're like me, if I stub my toe and there's anybody else in the room, it's their fault. Why well, wouldn't have got up and came over there if you wouldn't this is what we do. And this is something that i talked about before, um, and this is like the human condition, and this is how one of the ways we have to kind of navigate through pain and suffering, is we understand that humans, from the very beginning, have played the blame game. This is what, what we do. Um, Adam and Eve are told that they're not allowed to eat from the, this tree. They've been given so much for their lives and for goodness. They've been told they're not allowed to eat from one tree. And what you find is that this blame game kind of gets talks about in part one in the beginning of the Old Testament, and then in the beginning of the New Testament, the blame game part two uh, uh, happens, and they both take place around trees. So the first one takes place around this tree with a, with a fruit, and there's a blame game. And ultimately, you can go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you can see in Genesis chapter 3 that as soon as the problem happens, that the man blames the woman, and the man blames God, and the woman blames God, and everybody blames God for the problem that just happened. They realize something's wrong, God comes along and they blame him. And that all happens around a tree. And then what you see is, is maybe God's answer to all of this suffering in the second rendition around the blame, game of the trees. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, there he is, He's dying on a cross. This is God with us in the flesh, feeling our pain, suffering like no other, excruciating pain, and one of the criminals on the cross says what we all say about pain to God. If you're God, why don't you fix this? Why are you letting this happen? Why, are you, why don't you do something about this, God? And then the other criminal goes, leave me alone. He hasn't done anything. Hey, God... This has got to be my fault. What you're going through can't be your fault. And ultimately, will you fix this? Will you take this whole thing and wrap it up at some point? Because I don't know what else to say. Ultimately, I'm here because I'm here. And this is my fault. And you're there. And I don't know why you're there. But if you can fix it, then why don't we all fix this thing together? Can you fix it? And Jesus looks at him and goes, yeah, I'm on it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it today. Today, you're gonna be with me in paradise, which is just this amazing picture of God's ultimate desire to solve all of our suffering and all of our pain. He's on the cross paying for our pain. He's on the cross feeling the pain that we feel so that ultimately, the guy that's next to him who's guilty cannot feel pain. In the beginning, around the first tree, we blame God. At the second tree, we blame God, and one person gets it right. It's actually not your fault, God, I'm in this trouble, and I just want you to do everything you can do. And with that little analogy, you can start to understand suffering and pain through the the biblical lens. You see, the Bible is not um, written so that all of your questions specifically about life and pain and suffering could be answered. God did this miraculous move over hundreds of years to put together a book of books about his people with the Holy Spirit of God working through it to tell us certain things that he wants us to know. I mean, the scriptures are actually everything we need for life and godliness. So in this book, there is an actual border to what it says. There's things it doesn't talk about and there's things it does talk about. And what we learn when we read the scriptures, if we study them honestly and we study them continuously and we have accountability around looking at them is this. That the Bible is concerned with how God is fixing our pain, not why God allowed it. The Bible is going to tell you why God is fixing and how God is fixing our pain. But it doesn't actually ever directly say, this is why God made a rule in the garden. Now, there's arguments about... Moral, uh, free moral agents, and the will of God, and our will, and wanting us to experience real love, and all of those things come from basically this bucket of systematic theology, so that we can understand certain parts and mysteries. But when we talk about pain and suffering, as a faithful follower of Jesus, one of the things you have to start to be willing to do is to embrace the mystery around some of these big questions. I do not sit with people who are engaged in the most horrific trials and pain and give them an answer for why God ultimately set this thing up the way that he set it up. Why was there ever even an opportunity for a tree? Why was there ever even an opportunity to break a rule? Why, 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 why? I mean you can start to look at the world around and go there's some beautiful things about my kids choosing to love me. It, oh, that makes sense. When my kids love me because they want to love me and I don't force them to love me because if I force them to love me, then they don't love me. I mean, we can, we can talk about that. But what the scriptures actually do and what should totally shift your blame away from God if you ever live in that world and if you go into serious pain, you will wrestle with that or maybe you already are is you're gonna have a great mystery around some of those questions, and those are questions worth talking about. Um, Those are things where beautiful conversations happen. I've had conversations, I remember, in seminary with people about God's ultimate power and what he was doing in the world, and it it is a fun conversation to have, and you should have it somewhere in a a safe place. But when we look at what the scriptures have to say, there's, there's some margin to what it has to say, and then there's borders, and then outside of that border, there's a bunch of floating um, universe of question marks. Christians don't have to have all the answers. That's not what God does for us. He's not, he's not, he, he didn't say, you need to show up with people and give them all the answers to their biggest questions. What the scriptures lead us to is to show us who God is and what he's up to. And what hope and goodness we actually have in the midst of all of this. And so one of the things that we see in the scriptures, as it takes us down this road of what the Bible, the story is trying to tell us, is, is a couple things. Just a quick rehash. In Genesis 1 through 2, what it shows us is that every good thing we have comes from God. Everybody read that with me. Every good thing we have comes from God. Say it again. Every good thing, every good thing in the world, every joy, every um, happiness, every experience, every taste, every sight, every feeling, every, every thought that is, that is of God, it all comes from God. It's all given to us by God. It's just this beautiful gift of goodness is what the Bible says. Not even good, it's very good what God made. Scriptures say later in the New Testament that every good and perfect gift comes from God in heaven, the Father of life, in whom there is no variation, no shifting shadow. So what do we know about God? God makes good things. Every good you have comes from God. Now, trust me, I know better than most people what it sounds like to have a silver lining message. This is not a silver lining message. This is not me telling you or me saying to you that I would ever approach someone and go, hey, if you're going through a really hard time, you just need need to count your blessings. You see, this is something that you need to sit with and understand as you're looking at your relationship with God. God has, in fact, done specific things that reveal an ultimate goodness, and that's what he's about. So if we look at what is God really about and what the scriptures say, we wrote read in, in Genesis chapter 1, oh, God made the earth and God made the water and God made the sky and God made people and God made food and God made sex and God made every other thing that you enjoy in the world. God made all that. Here you go. There you go. What a great thing to think about when nothing's going wrong, but when something's going wrong, for some reason, we just move all that out of the way and go, hey, God, if you're love, you messed up. We have to Have our perspectives change? Because ultimately, the part that that we do when we go, God, you messed up, God has a commentary about that within several chapters of everything that he made that's good. He made everything that's good. People corrupted it, is what the scriptures say. Many of them blamed it on God. And then they continued to live a life against God's ultimate plan. Ultimately, it got so bad that God covered the globe with water and wiped it all away and said, I guess I'll have to restart because this is so bad and people are turning away from me so much that ultimately he looked at the way that people were living against what he desired them to do. And it says in Genesis chapter 6, you can go read this for yourself, that God was sad. God was sad about the suffering. God was sad about the pain. God was heartbroken about the pain. God didn't want the pain. What we need to all understand is that God is not sitting back with some paintbrush and drawing in the dark parts of our lives and going, I intended all this bad. I want this bad. That's not what God does. God made all this good and then all this bad comes and he's like, I don't want this. If you can get to the heart of of what God feels about the pain, then you can start to understand how to handle the pain in the world we live in. I'll close with that. But this is is the actual heart, I don't know. Weeping, I don't want the pain. I don't want the suffering. I don't want you to treat each other that way. I don't want you to be inflicted with that. I don't want it. This is not what I want. Nothing about this is what I wanted. Please understand, I don't want you to live this way. I don't want you to feel that pain. I don't want you to cry those tears. I care for you. This is what the Bible tells us about God. And then ultimately, the scriptures go on to say that God, in Genesis chapter 12, that he launched the long-term holistic solution to all of our suffering, by calling a man named Abraham and saying, Abraham, through you, and I'm going to build a nation, and that nation is going to bless the entire world, and ultimately it's going to save the world. Anyone who calls upon that, uh, that, that deliverer that I give is going to be saved, and ultimately all of their suffering is going to be taken away. And all that is is a picture of through the nation of Israel, God's going to build up this people that are supposed to be his holy people. And no matter what they do, God is going to stay with them and work with them. And he's going to ultimately, through them, bring his son into the world. And his son in the world is going to come and seek and save the lost. He is going to come and wipe away the ultimate reality of pain. He's going to come away and wipe away all the ultimate realities of suffering and darkness that we are all experiencing. So... The theology around suffering is that God is the person who has done the most to give you good. God is the person who is doing the most to take away your pain. He wants it all gone. That's the heart of God. Everyone has questions. Why not now? Why that way? How come this? How come that? Great questions. I do not know why Jesus hasn't come back yet. I do not know why when Jesus came to this earth, uh, he didn't just raise from the dead with an army and say, I'm going to bring you all to myself and start this next phase." I don't know why. I have no clue. But we see what's happening in the midst of all of it. And we can learn what we are supposed to learn. God launched a long-term holistic plan to offer the solution to all of our suffering. God did that. And the thing that's so cool about that, which is also difficult to understand, is that in the process of that, God uses broken people. So what happens is, is those who, who care for us in our suffering, they're broken. When we care for someone, and, and we're We're broken. And God just stays there, and he just uses us. And the nation of Israel was broken, and God used them to spite themselves. And and God just lets us be a part of his plan. And the local church is a bunch of broken people whom God, through his Holy Spirit, binds together in a sense of holy unity and says, you go be my hands, you go be my feet, even though my hands are perfect, and my feet are perfect, and my mouth is perfect, and my life is perfect, you're not perfect, but I'm going to work through you. And so in the process, like what we read in Romans, we see that the outward body is not great, it's not perfect, it's busted, it's messed up, but the spirit of the living God is inside, starting to renew, and eventually one day, one day, all that is inside will be realized on the outside with the resurrection. God uses these broken people. It's one of the reasons we struggle with suffering so much, is is, it's like, People are supposed to be better. Why are they doing that? Why would that person do that to that nation? Why would that person treat their spouse that way? Why would they do that to their kids? Why? Because it's a bunch of broken people and then God moves into broken people's lives and he uses broken people to be transformed in the likeness of his son so we can start to show you what ultimately this thing is headed towards. So we all go through these trials. So here, here's, here's how I want to land this. If I'm sitting with you and talking about this this type of suffering. What, what do you do? Okay, so Joel, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering. God, God didn't want this, but God is on plan to, to, to fix this. I mean, the most important thing is you have to wrestle with the person of Jesus Christ. You have to. You have to understand that the person of Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus Christ, that what he represents and what he presents to the world is either everything or nothing. He's either there and he's real and everything about him matters and everything he said is true and everything he's going to do will happen or he's just a crazy person that you need to forget about as fast as you can. And so if Jesus rose from the dead and all the calendars were changed because of the historicity of Jesus and his life and he's a real person and he rose, then you have got to wrestle with that. And if you want to place your faith in him, then he does the first move of giving you the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of you, which is the beginning of your future eternity and your hope. But you're sitting in your pain. What do you do? What do you do? I think the first thing to do is to move past that anger shell when you hurt. You need to to move past the anger. You need need to to bust through it. You need to understand that, that anger just happens and we just get angry and it's secondary and it's a shell, but we got to get inside to what's really going on. And the way that we get inside to what's really going on is we actually are sad. And there's a, there's a whole commentary and a whole world out there that, that in the Christian world that says that Christians aren't sad. And I'm just here to tell you that is so wrong. Christians are sad. Christians should be sad. I don't think if you deal with sadness, this human emotion that everybody is experiencing all the time, you're not ex- experiencing the fullness of life. You have got to learn, just like God was sad when his, when his world messed up, that in order for us to cope with the brokenness, we need to get to the sadness. We need to feel. And ultimately, psychologists and therapists and counselors all teach this. You want to work through suffering, you got to sit with it. You got to feel it. You got to talk about it. You got to express it you got to sit with your sad emotions. You you, you need to bring them in as if they were coming into an interview and bring in your sadness and say, okay, sadness, do this. I started doing this. My wife taught me this. Sadness, come on in. Sit down. Why are you here? Let sadness speak to you. You see, if we just let anger rule the day, then we're never going to deal with our suffering. Sadness is part of the process of moving towards God's ultimate hope, and joy in our lives. So you bring in sadness and you feel it. I feel you. I'm feeling this sadness. I am sad. I'm expressing this sadness. And then you deal with it. You talk to it. You have other people talk to it. And that's when you start to heal. And so in the church right now, we need to be the kind of people who are not afraid of sadness. I mean, my goodness, the the scriptures say, blessed are those who mourn. The scriptures tell Christians in the New Testament that we're supposed to, when someone is sad, it doesn't say that you need to go to them and tell them to be happy. It doesn't say that you need to go to them and you need to remind them of a truth that will set their emotions in a different direction. No, the scriptures actually say that Christ followers who are in tune with what God is doing in the world, when they see someone who's mourning, the scriptures say, mourn with them. Mourn with those who mourn. Christians are supposed to be in tune with the things that matter to God. What matters to God is his heart is broken because of the suffering. And so our hearts should match God's hearts, and that's the heart we should bring to the world. A heart that hurts for the brokenness. Ultimately, this leads to this next piece, which is just to be present. People do not need you to give them perfect answers when they're suffering. You don't need that. People do not need you to be perfect. People need Christians who have perspective. And Christians who have perspective understand all of the different emotions that can happen. And we don't show up in someone's pain or brokenness and say, hey, but here's a silver lining. Hey, but ultimately this. We, when we meet people in their sadness, and this is what God does with us, is he sits with us and he just weeps with us. And it's okay to just be sad. And it's okay to suffer. And it's okay, it's part of the human experience. And I think that if you run from your sadness, you're like me, and you're a seven. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. All we want to do is run from sadness. And ultimately, if I do not deal with my sadness, I miss out on a depth of life I would never experience. Because for me to experience the goodness in the world, I have to jump through the pain and experience it. Listen to this. The scriptures say that Jesus Christ, that he experienced great grief for something that was in front of him. Something that was in front of him. The scriptures say you need to look at Jesus. He's the author and he's the perfecter of your faith. Who for what? For the joy set before him. Endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. You want to get to joy? Guess where the door is? Suffering. The people who I know who have the most joy in the world are the people who have gone through the greatest suffering. I I, I promise. There's something that has happened. And when we talk about joy and joy is about Jesus, happiness is about happenstance and joy is about Jesus, but when you know Jesus and you have Jesus and everything else gets taken away and you're left with Jesus, the people that realize all they have is Jesus and all they need is Jesus, these are the people who I see as the strongest in the world. Be present. Sit in it. It is sad. Young men... Don't believe the world when it says you're not allowed to cry and you're not allowed to show weakness. And, yeah, there are places where you have to be careful because if you're too vulnerable, you'll get hurt. But in safe places, in places with with, uh, people you love, you need to talk about your emotions. We need to talk about our sadness. We need to say we're hurting. We need to have parents and friends that go, it's okay that you hurt, and I'm going to sit with you in it. I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm going to bring perspective The other thing about our suffering is that God is with us. Oh, God is with us in our suffering. The whole narrative of the New Testament church is, I'm going to go, I just suffered for all of you so that one day you could have the epitome of joy in your life and I'm going to leave you in a better state than I found you. I'm gonna leave you with the Holy Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside every human on earth that places their faith in Jesus Christ, they walk through this earth with the God of the universe in them, with them. Before he was given to us in this form of the spirit and present in our bodies, the God of the universe, Jesus came in the form of a man and he was on a cross and he suffered excruciating pain. The scriptures say that he was tempted as we are tempted yet without sin and that he endured the most awful pain you could experience. And the reason he did that was he became sin. He became all of our brokenness, all of our death, all of our problems were laid upon him. So he has experienced all your suffering. He has experienced all your pain. And so when you feel pain, there is an idea that Christians feel more connected to God than ever. Because there's my God. He went through pain. I'm going through pain. Ultimately, the purpose is joy. The purpose is joy. God wants you to be with him. God wants you to feel no pain. And so suffering comes along, and God meets us in the suffering. And when we take his hand, he leads us forward. He leads us into a new place. The idea of joy happens in our lives when the world gets rough. And we start to see it and it's broken. And we realize that what we need is God. We need God. We need Jesus. And in the midst of our suffering, door A has not been helpful and door B is turned us away and door C continues to cause problems and door D, and we just move down the line and we finally get to the last door, the last one. And we go, okay, I'm gonna open it up and there's Jesus and he's everything we need. He's everything he wanted. He wipes away our tears. Everything else looks silly compared to the cross-bearing crowd crab- wearing Jesus who loves you in that moment that's the picture joy is with Jesus man you won't feel joy with whatever toy you won't feel joy with whatever you find you won't feel joy with whatever you buy you won't feel joy with whatever you're going through you won't feel joy joy is exclusively associated with your proximity to Jesus Suffering is what he went through to bring you through to the place where you see he's your guy. He's the one. He's it. That's all. And so as the scripture talked about, there's hope. Hope. Back and forth in the conversation about suffering. People want to know, what about now? Soothe me now, God. Be the balm now. And the spirit of the living God is there. And the scriptures say that the spirit himself is working inside of us, both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. That he's making all things new, that he's transforming our mind. And in the midst of this dark and broken world with these crushed and crumbled bodies, God is in there whispering about the future. But you need to understand something, and this is part of the Christian view, now matters. Now matters, God wants you now to follow him now. God wants you to bring whatever piece of joy from the future you can bring into now. God wants you to understand the goodness of now that he brought now. God wants you to live now fully for him, but you must understand that this life is not God's final plan. It is not what God has. It's not gonna stay this way. I love the gospel. I love the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. It's so good. And sometimes you forget how good it is until you share it. I had the opportunity to share the gospel message with one of the most important people in the world to me, my oldest son, we were laying in bed. And I was talking to him about suffering. He asked me about Tommy Brown and he asked me how Jesus could be God how could he be God was he like a human at the beginning and you know I was like we'll talk about that later but very like you know questions that just basically you realize you need like four more degrees or you just need to trust God I mean he's probably better and so ultimately and I gave him some answers of course and and uh and he 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 said he said so why the pain? Why what's why what's happening with Tommy Brown? Tommy passed away recently, he's a member of our church. And then I told him, I told him the gospel, and it was so fun. I used my hands, I'd never done this before. I said, In the beginning, God He created this world, and in the world, He made the heavens and the earth and the ground and the vegetation, and then He put these two people on it, and He wanted to be with them. And basically God lives in heaven, and wherever heaven is, it's God's space. So whatever's up there with God is him. I said, when God created the world, it was supposed to be like this. What he made, who he loves, together. And then, for some reason, the two people that were put in there decided to do the one thing that God asked them not to do. And what that did is it separated heaven and earth. It separated. And this means death. Because without the creator and the sustainer of life, you can't stay alive. So ultimately, what God did is he said, I want to fix this separation. I want these hands together. I want this back. I said, so what he did is he he became a man. And he came to this earth, and he paid the penalty for sin. And he died, and he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, it was like him saying, hey, anyone who believes in me raising from the dead, even though they die one day, will one day raise from the dead as well. I said, so when when we put our faith in this risen Jesus, then one day we're all going to be back together again. And what God will do at some point is he will bring the risen Jesus back to the dead bodies, and we will all come together again in the very end, and we will be alive for eternity. And I promised you, I said that to him, and there's so much about that that I love, that that story, that narrative. I said that to him, and here's what he said. It's kind of nice to think I promise, he said, it's kind of nice to think about. I thought, isn't it so nice to think about? Because what we were talking about was suffering. What we were talking about was pain. I said, isn't it nice to think about that no matter how difficult it is, and this isn't the silver lining, and this isn't that, you know, you shouldn't feel pain because you need to sit in it. That's part of it. That's part of experiencing joy. But isn't it nice to think about that this world is not the end? Isn't it nice to think about that this pain is not the plan? Isn't it nice to think about that this suffering is not God's ultimate satisfaction for our lives? He has something bigger and better, and it's going to be here eventually. And if you're a Christian, you believe something about your life that should change the way your life is. We have a long, beautiful life ahead. Rick Warren said that this part of life is just like the curtain call before the real play. It's just the beginning This is putting on makeup and it's all messed up and it's all not working and are we going to make it? And then here comes the show opens and the curtain goes and the show is better than we ever thought and now eternity starts. Part of hope is what you don't see, my friends. It's what you believe and it's coming. And we place that hope in the risen Jesus Christ That's real, man, and if you don't wrestle with that or you don't wrap your arms around that, then you won't feel it. So let's just read more of what Paul has to say. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to read this together. This is Romans 8, 31 to done. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I better hear some hollering out there. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who? What? What could? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's there reminding, retelling. Painting the picture of your salvation all the time, his body, his scars tell the story of your future life. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Church, should it? No, no, no. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Look what Paul says. No, No, we're not sheep to be slaughtered. No, this doesn't get worse and then stay bad. No. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers— neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The message, the message in the context of suffering is a radical move by God who's launched a long-term mission take away the worst stuff you've ever felt and give you a lifetime of goodness. Let's stay hopeful in that now because when we hope in that, we bring that hope now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for moving in our lives. We thank you for showing us what we we never thought we would be shown. We help, God, that that as we, we come to you today, that no words I say, no worship we sing, that the spirit of the living God would do something that's bigger because that's what you gave us. Help us to tap into you, God. Help us to pray more. Help us to ask more. Help us to live right. Help us to be right. Help us to bring glory to you in all that we do. God, help us, if we're suffering, God, to sit in His suffering, to understand, to be sad, not blame God, just be sad, deal with it, heal through it. Help those of us that are supporting the suffering to be present, to not try to fix it, to just be present and be with each other, to mourn with each other. Father, ignite the reminder of the eternal hope of glory. Ignite it today. God, if we saw it, there's nothing to hope for. You you did this move of hope. You want us to to rest in what we can't see. Father, it's, it's difficult to do love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. We will see you next week for Baptism Sunday.